I know Wanda would want me to thank you all on her behalf and her family's behalf for joining them today to support them, to assure them of our prayers, and to encourage them by worshiping God together. As Wanda and I have talked, it's actually really difficult to believe because Ken was such a big presence in his family and in our congregation. And I guess we thought he would never stop. And I don't think he thought he would either. But one of my last conversations with him, I, I tentatively and very hopefully carefully raised this question. Do you ever think of retirement, Ken? And he said, the Lord will stop me, or as the Lord enables, I will go on. And it was only a month later that he was in hospital. Um, I really thought he would go on and on but none of us do, not, not the strongest of us, and therefore we gather to mourn as we remember a much-loved husband and father and grandfather, colleague, friend, and therefore let's pray and ask for God's help as we do so. You, Lord, are the chief shepherd. You shepherd your flock. And you also shepherd the shepherds. We thank you, Lord, that today we look back on a life that was shepherded by you and a life that shepherded many also. And we come to worship you as the one who not only leads us beside green pastures and still waters, who not only leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, as you have recently, but you're also the God who takes us all the way home to live in your house forever. We want to keep our thoughts and affections there as we gather together before you this day. Do bless us, Lord, with your presence. Crown this life, this life of ministry and service and love with your presence in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a song to sing that was chosen by Ken. He left very clear instructions for his funeral, and among his instructions were two songs, and the first of them that we'll sing together is, Someday the Silver Cord Will Break. We'll stay seated, and the words will be up on the screen.
children and one grandson will now bring some memories of Cain to us. Webster defines eulogy as a speech or writing in praise of a person in honor of a deceased person, especially in honor of a deceased person. I've always struggled with that a little bit. Um, I personally have always had a hard time uh, with eulogies potentially being a little too much glorifying a person. That is definitely not what Dad wanted. Um, and as you've heard, he gave specific instructions to us um, that he wrote several years ago, I think as many as 20 years ago, that he wrote some of this stuff down. 
Um, just to give you a little context, he wrote that in a book that he was given about uh, a father's legacy or something like that to, to his kids. And so there were instructions in there um, that we were all like, yeah, dad, yeah, you know, my dad, he would, he would give us, certainly give us some direction. Um, <laughs> but, but it was not to be anything um, praising him. He just wanted us to be very clear that we, we would not do that. And he asked us, we all kind of struggled a little bit about what that meant. And he gave us some instruction, but that, that we, we kind of tried to show you how we saw uh, how dad through his life helped us to experience um, God's sovereignty and grace. So we're going to do our best to, to follow that. Um, when I put together my thoughts, I kind of put them all together and they kind of seemed to fall into six categories for me. Um, my dad would probably be disappointed that I couldn't get into a three-point kind of an organization, but um, they were six. This is how they came up for me. So I'm going to do my best for that. Dad was um, a very passionate person. Um, he went 100% on a lot of things all the time. He just didn't do anything slow. He was always very, very gung-ho on everything. Um, the man mastered, I think we said, eight or nine languages. And, but in all those languages, he never um, apparently uh, understood or heard the word retire. Um, he just would always kind of go like, you know, until he died. He, he, we knew that that would be how he would end. Um, like the rest of us, he was not a perfect person. Um, we all have had some fun stories about some of, some of that. My dad was, um, you know, he would publicly confront people if he thought there was uh, some injustice or selfishness going on. Um, we've had several stories. We've had fun talking about my cousin um, <laughs> Scott's wedding. There was some times where we had, uh, they were working on go-karts, and there were some young kids cutting in line, and, and my dad would not be afraid to confront them that this is, you know, this is not right. You need to, you need to, and uh, we were all sort of a little embarrassed on some of that. Um, not that we didn't also participate. One time, um, <laughs> I, uh, we did a lot of fishing, and I had my boat plugged in power to charge the batteries, which is very important if you understand how, how trolling motors work. And some fellow fisherman unplugged ours because he wanted our power source, and uh, my dad was right beside me there confronting that person how that was not going to fly. Um, <laughs> And my dad also had a, you know, a little stubborn streak in him. Us Vandergreens would call that confidence. Um, <laughs> but if he had something in his head, um, you probably want to just go along with that because you're going to have a hard time convincing him that that, that might want to be different. Um, but, but passionate in everything he did. I think that really made him real to a lot of us um, and, and really made it, it special how he could connect with us and others just because he was just a real person. And, and that he was not just this pious person was really gave him, he knew that. He took advantage of that um, to, to emphasize and teach you about God's grace. Um, so the six things that I, that I kind of put them together in, um, passion for missions, obviously was huge. You all, if you know my dad at all, you know that was number one thing in his heart. Um, witnessing to the lost, serving in God's kingdom um, was a big deal. Uh, he loved missions overseas. And Corey's going to give you a little bit of, of some of that. Um, but he also engaged in missions um, at home all the time. I saw that constantly. Um, I fished with my dad a lot, and um, there would be a lot of people that come with us. There was people on the boat with us, um, whether they're my guests or my kids. Um, dad was always somehow comfortably engaging to those people, um, just finding out where they were in their relationship with Christ, and, and he would just start conversations and, and discuss their faith. And, and just very, I don't know, he just had a knack to be able to do that w without it being uh, something difficult for the people that are with us. 
Um, and then he would follow up. Next time he saw people, he'd just follow up. How's that going? Constantly. Um, and so I think um, if there's something I would, uh, that I learned, that, that was the, the, the main, these encouragements that I got from my dad, I think that's one he would say to all of us. Um, uh, engage with people, even though we're not all overseas like he was. Engage with people at your home, where you live, the people you're with, and um, witness to them uh, when, when you have that ability. Number two, um, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was a big deal to my dad, um, especially uh, locally, just to grow. He was always encouraging you to grow, both grace and knowledge. The knowledge component, um, he loved to teach, um, and not just from the pulpit. He would teach one-on-one. -on -one. He loved to teach people and, and engage with them, encourage the depth of your relationship to grow in your depth with Christ and to grow in the knowledge of the word, not just to stay stagnant, but constantly grow. That was always on dad's heart, always working with people. Again, um, I spent a lot of time in a boat with him or, or traveling to fishing trips or at a campfire. Um, and dad just loved to have uh, theological discussions and talk about things about faith all the time, always weaving that in. Uh, personal memory, you know, early in my life, he gave me, we were talking about something, he gave me an R.C. Sproul book and I was, I think I own every R.C. Sproul book now that he's ever published, just encouraged me to, to, to continue to study and grow. Um, he stressed the power of the word, you know, programs were not important, he, he, it was about the word, that will, that will, you just use the word, that's all you need, that was big to him. Um, the whole counsel of God's word, he did not let you cherry pick passages, you needed to understand um, the whole context of scripture, and uh, it just, he just, showed us how it beautifully interweaved every part of Scripture, including the Old Testament. Um, it's all important and, and all interweaved well. Um, he reminded me a lot of R.C. Sproul and how he could, man, he could take complex stuff and, and make it simple and understanding to, to all of us. Um, in terms of the growing in grace, um, constantly in that. I remember a story when I was young. I don't remember where it was. I was very young. We were either at a mall or an amusement park. And um, I saw a lady struggling with uh, kind of being a spectacle and something was struggling. I don't even remember the, all the situations, but I just remember my dad, <clears throat> never forget that, telling me, you know, Tom, and I, I was pretty young, but, but uh, she, you know, everyone is made in the image of God. You understand that lady is made in the image of God. And understand that she's the center of her universe. We all look at everybody, you know, in the center of my universe and, and just understand that, that, you know, she's the center of her universe and, and she understands the world through her eyes and her experiences. And we need grace for her to understand maybe where she's coming from before we judge her. And that always stuck with me. And I think dad would encourage all of us to, to have grace for each other when we see things that maybe we don't understand um, and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his word. Obviously, the word was really important to him. <clears throat> Third piece was the importance of worship that I saw in dad. We would go on vacations as a family and it didn't matter where we went, um, we just expected we would find a place to worship. Um, whether, whether, it didn't matter where we were, even if we were fishing in a, uh, in a remote area. And um, that legacy came early on. I know my family, there was a place they called Righteous Rock, and that was an island they were going to worship at on Sunday. It was, even though we were not home for worship, that was still gonna happen. And when I went on trips with my, my dad alone, too, with my kids, same thing whether we had um, uh, worship in the cabin before we went or out on an island somewhere, that legacy 
um, was, was going to happen with worship. Uh, and I remember one time we were as a family in, on vacation in Missouri somewhere, <clears throat> and there was a tornado that came through. And it didn't hit our park. We were just in this tiny little pop-up camper. Um, it didn't hit our park, but it, it shook us pretty good. And it, uh, but in the morning, well, we were headed to worship. We'll clean up later. Um, just struck that, you know, worship was just a given. Um, so I think my dad would encourage everyone to enjoy uh, faithful worship. Um, next one was creation. Dad loved the outdoors. Um, he, he would encourage you to enjoy creation. Um, he loved to fish. He loved pheasant hunting. And he loved to ski. Um, but he saw that all as a gift, creation as a gift from God. Um, activities were always, when we went with him, were always in the context of enjoying God's creation. Um, so I, I think he would, he, would, he would encourage us all to know that this creation is not our ultimate home, but enjoy it as a gift from God. Um, the next one was really interesting for me as well is, is the perspective on money and finances. Um, we sang a song at uh, Thanksgiving in my church, uh, the Give Thanks song. Let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich because of what the Lord has done. And that struck me recently, you know, that, that was my dad a lot. Um, dad was always focused on his heavenly home. I'm 59 years old, and uh, I never heard my dad once talk about money um, or any goals of material stuff, of things he wanted. <clears throat> now, I gave him gifts of a couple of nice Fluger reels that he was pretty appreciative of, and he, he, was, he did like fine fishing equipment. Um, uh, but he never, ever, I never heard him talk of material things that he wanted. It was always, always on, on, on God's work as things that you ever heard him talk about. Mom, to this day, takes care of all their finances. I don't think Dad cared. Uh, finances were not a thing. Um, his vision was always on God's next plan, and um, money, provisions, God will take care of that. I don't, I'm not going to worry about that. It's always been how, he, how he's lived. Uh, personal story, I remember him telling me when I was my dad went to Dort College um, and then on to Calvin Seminary. But when he was at Dort College, um, they didn't have any money. And um, he didn't know. He, they needed food for me, and they, needed some, they wanted to get some milk. And dad didn't have any money to buy a gallon of milk. And um, he just prayed to God, said, you know, I, help, I need help. You know, help me provide for this. Um, and this went on to class. He got to the parking lot. He said he parked the door, parked his car, opened the door, stepped out. And in the ice, frozen, right where he stepped out was a dollar bill. And he's like, wow. <laughs> he cut that out, and that was enough at that day to, in those days to buy a gallon of milk. But just always uh, struck me as he just, he just did not, uh, it was not, nothing worldly about material items that were important to him. He just, he would let God lead. So I think he would tell us the same thing to um, trust, trust in God for provision. <clears throat> Last thing is obviously family it was really important to dad. Um, he loved to guide all of us to grow again in Christ. Uh, there's rumor of a story my dad would, would go in, in overseas, he would start with, was sort of shocking the people he's training that I'm a rich man, I'm a very wealthy man. And they'd kind of all sit back, but then he'd describe really that it's the richness is that my family follows Christ. And um, that's, that, that was what was important to him. Family was really huge to him. He did love to fish. Um, but my dad never fished by himself. Um, fishing wasn't something he did because he loved the fishing. Fishing for him was family. Um, whenever he fished, it was, it was just exciting to be with family to do that. So it was interesting, although seemed, he did like fishing, um, but, but it was always about family. 
Um, and that legacy was started with my grandpa, his dad. Um, we had generational trips um, with people from grandpa's dads, uncles, aunts, grandkids. He just thrived. He just loved those trips to be together with family. Um, he loved all kinds of vacations. We did a lot of fishing trips or skiing, amusement parks kind of things. Again, the more the better for him. He loved the more extended family that were there um, just because he wanted to be a part of their lives. Um, recently, he's been doing some trips with the family to a, a lake in Minnesota. And, and you hear him talk about them. It's 1% fishing um, and 99% it's the campfire and the stories and, and all the generations together and, and the things that can happen. Maybe it's 5% fishing for him, but... <laughs> But uh, it was very minor. It was really the relationships um, that, that he was after. He loved being part of all of our lives to help us all grow. And I know he's been a part of that for pretty much all of our family. Um, so the last thing, Psalm 145.4, was a, a song that we sang again at our, our church uh, on Thanksgiving Day, um, which I, was, was very uh, applicable as well, which is the song, you know, one generation will call to the next. And that was a big deal to my dad, just generational um, of calling. And I think he would encourage all of us in that. That was his passion. He would encourage all of us to, to do the same. My name's Corey Vanegrin. I'm the youngest child. Um, I wrote this down because I anticipate having a hard time getting through this. So... Um, as has been made clear here already, Dad had a clear calling from the Lord to preach and to teach the gospel. It was a great joy for him to open up the scriptures with people, help them to see the beauty, the depth, the richness, and the saving grace within its pages. He loved helping people see the big picture, the grand narrative of the Bible, this idea that the Bible is not a random, messy collection of uh, dozens of writers collected over thousands of years, but it's, a, it's one book authored by one author, the Holy Spirit, with one story, the redemptive story, and one hero, Christ. It wasn't enough for him to simply preach or teach scripture. He sought transformation in your heart. He needed you to understand the context of the passage, how it fit into that grand scheme. You had to understand that author's message to the original audience. And only then, when you understood that and how they might have intended to respond, that might, the author had intended them to respond, he would have wanted you to understand that message through the lenses of the cross so that you could apply that message to our hearts today in light of Christ's redeeming work. Not only did dad love preaching the full gospel and shepherding people with its intentions, he loved teaching others how to do it as well. God used him to reach countless pastors and church leaders throughout Asia and other countries outside of Asia. One of my dad's longtime partners in ministry, his name is Todd Kelly. Todd worked closely with dad uh, as they ministered in several Asian countries. Todd's a close personal friend of myself as well. He's been ministering to our family throughout Dad's health situation. Todd is in Asia right now as we sit here and as we speak. He's training a dear group of men that my dad has worked with for many, many years. 
Todd struggled to get on that plane last Friday because he knew doing that meant he wouldn't be here today. And so he wrestled with that. And he emailed me, he wrote me, and he was deliberating about this. This is what he said. The thought came to me that if I was to ask your father what he like, he would likely tell me to keep my commitment in Asia and fulfill the mission. I'm here to confirm with absolute certainty that my dad would be very upset if he knew that his funeral was getting in the way of preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, equipping the saints, and strengthening the church. So, Todd, if you're out there listening to the live stream, good job, you made the right choice. Dad would also be upset if this funeral became a vehicle to glorify Ken Vandegreen, rather than an opportunity to glorify God. In particular, he would want us to praise the glory of God's grace. The book of Ephesians was one of Dad's favorite books of the Bible. It's short. It's theologically dense. It's beautiful. And it's packed with God's grace. And it's the last book of the Bible I studied with my dad before he died. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Two things adorn my dad's casket in front of me. A bundle of wheat and a well-worn Bible. His hopes and prayers were that we would all feast on the bread of life and that we would love God's word bathed in its gospel grace so deeply that we are compelled to glorify God and advance his kingdom in every way possible through every person God puts in our lives. It's a beautiful privilege to be Ken's son and to partner with him in this kingdom work. To God be the glory. I will not make it through this without crying like they did. So be warned. <clears throat> I want to be like my dad. Dad used every moment he could to share God's grace and goodness. If you ever went to one of the weddings that my dad performed, you would know that. He used it as a vehicle to help others in their marriage. Who knows could be out there. If you ever went to a funeral that my dad performed, you know that he used it as a vehicle. There might be just someone that needed to hear God's grace. And he did it well. Well, it's fitting then that this funeral, too, focuses on God's grace. And I, too, reflected on Dad's words because these are the words he actually wrote to us that he wanted us to honor. So, yeah, he's dead and he's still influencing us and making us point to Jesus. I would like the kids to give the eulogy. Each could give a story of how God's grace was seen by them in me. This is not a time of bragging about me. 
but of lifting up God's grace as they saw it through me. In the last couple months, I've been privileged to stand by Dad's side. I've been privileged to um, help him when he was weak and in his weakest hours. So I have seven quotes from Dad in the last couple months on his deathbed. So I think my number is better. You know, it's perfect number seven, so. <laughs> Dad would be proud. In his toughest moments, he was at home with this pain, his sciatica, what started everything. And in so much pain, I've never seen in someone in so much pain that he was crying out. And I remember one afternoon sitting with mom and he was in the bedroom, he'd like to turn the lights off and we'd lay him down to kind of calm that sciatica. I just heard him talking, like, dad talking to someone on the phone or? No, he was preaching. He was trying to get through his pain and he was preaching. And later when we had gotten him into the living room, he said, yeah, I went through all Psalm 23 and preached it well. I wish I could have written it down, it was so good. <laughs> Quote number two, dad was um, still in, at home with his sciatica pain. I said, I was alone with him. And I said, dad, how are you doing? Like, what do you think about all of this? We had found out he had the cancer too. And he, he sat there for a moment and thought, and he said, God is good all the time. And that's simply all he said. Pointing us to Jesus again. Quote number three. Going in the elevator, getting him ready to go to his surgery for his back to get that sciatic pain gone, Jim read over him um, from Acts when Jesus appeared to Paul and said, don't be afraid. His response was, I am no Paul, but I am not afraid, giving us peace that we too should not be afraid, whatever the outcome. Quote number four. When we got him to Mary Freebed for his rehab, we were hopeful that dad would recover and we could get him on a healthy walking, able to walk again so we could start chemo. He said, I'm so weak. I think there's a verse where God says, give strength to the weary. He said, I'm not sure. I think it's in Psalms or maybe Isaiah 40. And so I, of course, took my phone out to look and I'm like, yeah, dad, it's actually in Isaiah 40 and in Psalms. <laughs> He always blew my mind how well he knew the word. He was such a, a great role model to that. And so we did. We wrote those verses out and we memorized them and said them every day. Quote number five. Our church reads a passage every day. We're all on the same page of the book of the Bible as a church. And so I decided when dad got to the hospital that I would read that passage with him. It happened to be the book of Revelations. And so each, each day I would go, I would read another chapter, and he would give me another sermon. And it was, I will never read the book of Revelations the same again. It was a precious time where he taught me, even as an old woman, some more things about the word. But I loved it when he said, read the next chapter. It gets better. <laughs> Quote number six. My son went and visited uh, dad on the way home, on the way to work, and I hadn't gone there because he was in the hospital at this time, so I felt he was more cared for. I didn't have to be there right away at 7 a.m., and of course, he was like, where's the family? He knew I wasn't there. He knew mom wasn't there yet, and he told Ezra, when, fam when is family going to get here? 
When they get here, I'll shake their hands, and then I'm going to go. He knew that time was coming, but he wasn't afraid. And he, he gifted that to us, too. We weren't afraid either for him. In fact, he requoted it because we still weren't there, and he said, when is family going to come? I'll greet them, and then I'm going to croak. <laughs> I wish I could do all those quotes because there were many, many more funny ones that got us through. But he had a good way of making awful situations fun and God-centered. Last quote, number seven. Mom and Dad had a great moment when we knew that maybe Dad wasn't going to make it through. And Dad assured her, I'll see you in glory. He was always pointing to that heavenly place in God's word. And we loved that about him. Dad lived his life for opportunities to share God's grace, and he had fun doing it. And even in the end, it just so happened on Tuesday, I read Revelations 22 to Dad, the last book of the Bible. As Dad said, the climax of it all. The next day at 7 a.m., the perfect number, Dad died. It was the climax of Dad's life. He got to see God's face, and he got to, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Even in Dad's passing, he pointed to the scriptures and God's grace. I want to be like my dad. I want to use every moment I can to share God's grace and goodness and have fun doing it. I love you, Dad. Hello, my name is Ezra Hedice. I'm the oldest grandson. And you think that we are three quarters of the way through, but I represent 13 grandkids, so <laughs> we're going to be here a bit. 13 grandkids and one great-grandchild. Um, I want to, as my uncles and mom have already done, focus on how we saw God's grace in Grandpa. Uh, first, I want to share a lesson that he taught me, his passion for the word, and then how we saw God use him. So when I was quite young, maybe like uh, six or seven, Grandpa caught me coming out of the bathroom once and said, Ezra, you need to leave the bathroom better than you found it. And he proceeded to teach me how to wash down the sink, wipe down the sink, make sure the toilet was cleaned. I'm sure this was because, as many of you know, Grandma keeps a very clean house, and so out of love for Grandma, he was making sure that I was going to maintain that clean house. Um... This summer, I was on the way, I don't know where I was, but on, I think maybe on the way to work, and I called Grandpa, and I said, Grandpa, I, a long time ago, you told me that I needed to leave the bathroom better than I found it. And I think it was in that moment that I realized that that had, that had come up a lot more in life than just leaving the bathroom. And it was an operating principle that I, I was running on my entire life. And so I asked Grandpa about that. I was like, did you intend to have a broader impact than just the bathroom? And he said, well, I don't know, but it definitely applies beyond that. Um, and it's something that we saw in his life all the time. He was constantly seeking to make the world around him better um, and ultimately more like heaven. Um, I talked to my, my fellow grandchildren and just was curious about other ways that God helped, uh, God worked through grandpa to make us better. Um, stuff came up like tying a fishing knot, tying fishing line. Uh, going against the grain and being okay with being different, constantly being humble, having fun in all circumstances, praying, being generous, and the most important one, studying his word, not just reading it. 
So that's the second point, is Grandpa loved God's word, and he loved it because of what's in it, the message of grace and redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, Uncle Corey already read it, but I'm going to read it again, and I didn't know he was going to read it. Um, One of the last chapters I read with Grandpa was Ephesians 1. Uh, He really liked this one. So Ephesians 1 verse 5 through 7. So I'll zoom in a little bit from where Uncle Corey was. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in, in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's word is very powerful and Grandpa believed that passionately. God used him to train people, to train people, to train people, to train people on how to understand that word and to work with it well and to interpret it well. Ultimately, so that they could see the gospel through it. This can be seen across the world, as my uncles and mom have already talked about, but also through them and how he trained them to train us grandkids. So the last thing is how we saw God work through Grandpa. First, we need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And because of him, this world will never be better, or will, will, will be better. When Christ returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, he used Grandpa to spread the message of grace to others. That message of grace is the best way for us to have an impact to lead this world better to share that with others. It was Grandpa's prayer. That we would all accept that grace and in turn allow God to use us to share the message of grace and lead things better. I'm very appreciative that God worked through my Grandpa in this way. Thanks. Thank you all for sharing these inspiring memories. I'm sure Ken would forgive you if you went over the line. I think he was very honored by all that you said. I'd like to ask Pastor Richard Hartwell to come forward. Pastor Richard is um, our pastor of visitation and was very involved in visiting with Ken and Wanda in Ken's latter days. Last week at his death, Ken Vandergrind, a deeply loved husband, father, father father-in-law, grandfather, and great-grandfather to little Lewis, a brother and an uncle and a friend to many, an esteemed colleague of ours here at First Byron, and a faithful minister of the word and sacraments, to use the old phrase of the uh, uh, word and uh, sacraments uh, in the Christian Reformed Church, and in a diligent and enthusiastic me- uh, minis- uh, missionary of the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
at his death, Ken released all his material goods. He released all his interests and pleasures. He released all his thoughts of mastery over time. He released all his time-limited human relationships. And as a believer, he grasped in his empty hands the hands of his Lord and shepherd, who he faithfully served over so many years. And throughout this life of, of service, uh, uh, service in his family, raising the family with you, Wanda, and, uh, and in the, the churches that you and he served over the, the years, and in the mission to, to Taiwan and to South Asia, and as Tom mentioned, on a few fishing boats as well. In all these arenas, Ken proclaimed and lived out the gospel's great message, uh, a great and central hope, I should say, the hope that death is not the end, that all creation will be made new, and that all the children of God will be resurrected into eternal life in a glorified physical body in which we will all play and live and take joy, all of this to the glory of God. And in the end, Ken's life and proclamation and his hope, and our hope as well, hinges on the resurrection. Christ died. Christ was raised to life. And the same power that raised Christ to life will raise us again as well. And also those whom we have loved and lost in life. And all those whose hope is in Christ. So today, as we live in this in-between situation, you know, between the breaking of death's power and the, the destruction of death's presence, as we live in this in-between time, we grieve, we mourn Ken's death. Oh, we hate death, don't we? It's still an enemy, isn't it? But remember this. Remember this. It is an enemy whose end approaches, whose end is coming. So today we weep. Today we grieve. Today we mourn. But even more, believe. Believe and then pray. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I invite you to join with me in prayer.
Gracious God, you brought Kenneth Vandegrind to birth and each of us as well. You are always ready to hear us when we pray. As sorrow at Ken's death now penetrates our hearts and our minds, and we grope for words to express our pain and grief and loss, you know all our needs before we even ask. You are ready to supply them out of the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus. So this afternoon we pray and we plead, show us now your grace, Father. Remind us that you are our dwelling place and underneath us, even in the turmoil of our grief and our loss, are your everlasting arms. Even now, through our tears and in our pain, may we see the light and the hope of eternity. So speak to us this afternoon. Speak through your word and through Pastor Murray's words. Comfort our hearts and help us to live as those prepared to die. And when our days are ended, enable us to die as those who go forth to live so that whether living or dying, our life may be in Jesus Christ, our risen and reigning Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Richard. We'll now turn to God's Word to a chapter that Ken asked us to read, 1 Peter chapter 1. He wanted us to read verses 3 through 9 and focus on verses 3 through 5. So, let's read 1 Peter 1 at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When somebody asks for a text to be the text of their marriage or their funeral, it's always an intriguing question, why? Of all the texts that Ken knew and knew so well in the Bible, why 
Why this one? Well, I think as we briefly look at this passage, some of the themes of Cain's life will come out of it. Some of them you've heard, maybe all of them you've heard already from various speakers. But let's, let's look at this word in the way that Cain would want us to look at it. And in these verses, we have four transformations. First of all, a transformation from dying criminals to beloved children. If you look at verse 5, sorry, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has called us to be born again. So, here we have the great change that happens in someone who becomes a Christian. By birth from above, by a spiritual new birth, their relationship to God changes, and they move from being criminals in a criminal relationship with God as judge, with a criminal record and a criminal character, to children of God, born again by His power, and therefore now in a child-father relationship, now under His care and protection, not His condemnation and His frown. And here we're told that this has all been through God alone, from condemned criminals to beloved children. What a transformation. And then there's a second one here, and it is from desperate hopelessness to a living hope. We're told in verse 3, Christians are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is somebody who previously had no hope, or if they had a hope, it was a false hope. As they looked forward, they had no reasonable grounds for anticipating good in their future, especially their eternal future. This is someone without God, without Christ, and therefore without hope in the world. But there's been a great change here, and they now have a living hope, a hope that is living in the sense of it is growing, it is strengthening, it is expanding. And it's a hope through, we're told here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope of the Christian is based on, as we've heard, Jesus dying for our sins and raising it, raised again to put away our sins and give us this hope that we too can not only be children of God here but forever. And this resurrection not only secured it, but it guarantees it. It gives us a confidence that our hope is well-grounded. If God accepted this death of Jesus, He proved it by His resurrection, and therefore, we also can have that confidence of a future resurrection. What a transformation. 
from desperate hopelessness to a living, life-giving hope. Then thirdly here, we have a, another transformation from no inheritance to a heavenly inheritance, a secure inheritance. Look at verse 4. This new birth that brings us to a hope is focused on an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This person, prior to this great change, had no inheritance. They had nothing in their future that they could expect of heavenly riches. They didn't have a title to heaven. They didn't have a right to heaven. But now, as beloved children with a living hope, they can look forward legitimately and confidently to a heavenly inheritance. Their name is in God's will, as it were. It's a covenant to give heaven and all its riches to His children with a living hope. It's described here as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Unlike every other inheritance, it will never decrease in value. It will never be tarnished. It will never be taken away. And here we're told it's kept in heaven for you. Cain now has what was kept for him, what was bought for him by Christ's death and resurrection, what he hoped for, what he looked forward to, it's now his. It's in his possession. It's been handed over to him. Cain, this is yours. Now enjoy. What a transformation from no inheritance to such a rich, incorruptible, and secure inheritance. And then fourthly here, we have a transformation from exposed unbelievers to secure, guarded believers. Verse 5, this inheritance is reserved for those who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, this, this person was living a life that was exposed, that was vulnerable to every danger, both physical and spiritual. But now, they have this written over them, kept by God's power. This is, this is the secret of every Christian life. We don't keep ourselves. We don't secure our own salvation. We get through this life as believers because of God's power, God's keeping, God's energizing of our faith. As it's said here, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. God's power energizes our faith so that we are kept 
and kept and kept so that the inheritance that's been kept for us and we being kept for it are brought together in a wonderful moment. What a transformation for life, death to life, darkness to light, transformations from condemned criminals to beloved children, from desperate hopelessness to a living hope, from no inheritance to a secure inheritance, and from being an exposed unbeliever to being a secure and kept believer. Are you hearing some of the themes of Ken's life? Ken was, in my memory, a man of the Word. The, he would say to me, the text, the text, the text. He was a man of prayer. Wanda and Ken had one of the most beautiful prayer lives I've ever seen in a Christian couple. And Ken had a unique way of praying. It's, it's, it's unlike anything I'd, I've really ever heard before. It was so conversational still very reverent, but incredibly just conversational that really revealed to us that when you heard his prayers, it was just the continuation of a conversation he was having privately with God. He was a man of family. Wanda said to me, he was a very humble man, proud of only two things, his family and his fishing. He loved his family, but he wasn't a blinkered man. He was a man with a world vision to the very end. Mission, mission, mission. And so as we look at this text, we really hear Ken's heart because Ken prayed as a man of prayer that the Word, where he saw God's power, would transform his family and the whole world. That's why he chose this text, I believe. And he would want every single one of us to experience this ourselves. And so, if you are present here today and you find yourself on the other side of this transformation, still not transformed, still a condemned criminal, still desperately hopeless, still with no heavenly inheritance, and still an exposed unbeliever to all the dangers that are present in this world, then here you are pointed to the only source of transformation. And you can leave. You don't need to wait. You can let this time of death be a time of life for you. Ken would want you to seek this transformation so that before you leave his funeral, you will become, by God's grace and mercy, without waiting, without doing anything, simply by praying, a beloved child, somebody with a living hope, with a secure inheritance, and a secure life here and forever. May God bless his word to us. 
We're going to sing together in closing, lift high the cross.
Let's stand to receive God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Please stay standing as the... Do you have any announcements to make? On behalf of the family, thank all of you for joining them here today. After you are dismissed, you're welcome to join the family in the fellowship hall for a time of refreshments following the services here. We ask that you remain. You may be seated, so the family will just be dismissed out, and we'll usher you out after that. Thank you.